Analix 1.16. The master said, do not worry about not being recognized by others. Concern yourself about failing to recognize others. The first half of this is going back to the very first Analect 1.1, where we understand that the Genzu does not care too much about being acknowledged or recognized by others for being virtuous. He is not concerned with his fame or reputation so much as he is concerned with actually being virtuous and living a life full of spiritual beauty. So we have this reminder again, don't worry about these things. If, they, if you have them, this is good and you could use this to further teach and further enlighten others morally speaking and improve the lives of the people around you and people who come to you as students. And if you are a Lord, you can, of course, use this to bring the Tao to your society, to your community. But if you don't have these things, don't let this concern you. What you should be concerned about is the second part, worry about failing to recognize others. You worry about failing to recognize others. So if you are a person of virtue, you should be able to recognize others. And even though you are just starting this journey towards complete virtue, you can find people who whom you can learn from and whom you can spend time with and better yourself as a result. So in other words, put more simply perhaps, you want to be able to morally judge other people, assess their virtue or lack thereof. And this is very important because you can learn from these people constructively or even in the case where you recognize that these people are <clears throat> essentially moral failures, <clears throat> you can learn in the other kind of way where you learn from what they are doing wrong and use that to observe if you are making the same mistakes. Now today, in this era of culture, a common reaction to the idea of morally judging others is that it is wrong, which is rather ironic because what you're doing by saying this is that you're morally judging 
people for morally judging. And it ends up becoming self-contradictory and it becomes a form of hypocrisy. Surely it cannot be that the only moral rule in the world is to not judge people morally. And it's something that's inescapable. I've talked about the problems of moral relativism before and more practical in a more practical way. But understand that this is simply what we do all the time. We don't simply allow people to go around doing whatever it is that they wish. We don't believe even the most ardent liberals are not believers in allowing people to go out and touch people whomever or however they want. Um, we don't believe that it's okay to just go out and abuse innocent animals or uh, we don't believe that it is acceptable to take human life as uh, one might please. We understand that there are some basic limitations to behavior, to action, and thus morality. And so this belief that morality does not truly exist is a very flawed premise. It's something that simply we cannot truly believe. As long as you value something, you're going to have some sort of set of moral principles regarding that. So rather than trying to rid yourself of all morality, simply accept the reality, the truth of morality, and begin to discover more depth regarding moral principles. That is not simply a matter of respecting life, that it goes beyond simply demonstrating some sort of respect for other people, that these, um, that what we value should go beyond these very basic things that even animals can show to value such as the protection of life or the feeding of offspring. Go beyond these things and into more complexity, into more breadth, into more depth. Consider the morality of how you dress, consider the morality of what things you discuss to other people, consider the morality, consider the morality of how much noise you make, consider the morality of whom you show to respect 
excuse me, how you, whom, to whom you show respect and how much respect you show these people. One should consider these things in addition to the very basic morality that you are already familiar with and take for granted. If you're a Christian, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but one should go beyond the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments you can think of as simply being the basics and to demonstrate that, well, um, you have trouble believing, following the Ten Commandments, even the basic, these basic Ten Rules, that should be fairly easy to follow. So when you judge others, you're judging the, the morally, you're also judging their, their virtue. Are these people with high-minded goals, or are they just chasing money? Are these people those who want to show respect to virtuous persons, give greater respect to those of high virtue, and give lesser respect to those of um, a petty character, and not base the amount of respect on wealth or status, which may or may not be fairly assigned to them. Or, or fairly procured. You want to see if these people are persons of wisdom. You want to see if they have aspirations to help all of humankind. You want to see if they have, if they are the kind of person to sincerely and earnestly seek truth and not simply convenient lies so that they can be tell themselves that they are happy or lucky to be born uh, in the place and time that they are born into. These are all things that you can use to morally judge other people and their virtue. Are these people of Ren? Are these people of E? Do these people live and speak and behave in accordance with propriety, with properness? Do these people have wisdom? Do these people know how to live <clears throat> according to wisdom? So we're at the end of book one. Book one doesn't really have an overarching theme. Certain books are more heavily weighed towards a few ideas than others. We've talked much about virtue on the personal level, not too much about politics yet, not too much about political philosophy yet, but we'll wait till book two. Um, to start going a little further into that. But again, there's not really any themes book by book. And this is what makes the analytics actually fairly challenging. We're not doing so much of uh, intertextual analysis, but we're doing a lot of intratextual analysis. As we go through these books, 
you'll be reminded of what Confucius had said earlier in an earlier book, say book one, when we're off in book seven. Um, so this is a good time to um, to start reviewing the book that we've just gone over so that it can be, um, you can find a place in your mind uh, as we go through future books. You don't have to necessarily look through your lectures again, but just reread this, the Analects in book one. Then we'll talk about book two.